And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. Then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. But when the multitudes knew it, knew it they followed him. And he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more food than five loaves and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all these people. For they were about five thousand men. <coughs> then he said to his disciples, Make them sit down in groups of fifty. And they did so, and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven he blessed and broke them, and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled and Twelve baskets of leftover fragments were taken up by them. Thank you, Josh. You know, all four gospel accounts have that story of the feeding of what we call the 5,000. It's a little like kids, did do you ever hear your mom or dad say, I'm only going to tell you this one time? Anybody ever hear that? Those of us who are adults, have we heard it a time or two maybe in our childhood? Many times. Well, did you do it, though? Then, this is like God saying to us, I'm only going to tell you this four times. Because he tells us in every one of the Gospels. I asked Josh to read Luke's account because he has a couple details that the others do not have, and each one of them adds a little something. But we're going to look at the same account in John's Gospel. John chapter 6. If you have your Bibles and want to turn there in just a moment... We're going to read from John chapter 6. I'm going to read the same story. It'll sound familiar, but there are several differences. Listen for them as we read John chapter 6, beginning of verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs the signs which he performed on those who were diseased or sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread are not sufficient for them, that every one of them might have a little. And let me just say that one denarii, I understand, was a day's wage. So two hundred denarii, two hundred days' wage, roughly eight months' wages. So it was a lot. It would have taken a lot to feed them. One of the disciples in verse 8 Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the people sat down in number about five thousand. 
another footnote, the other Gospels tell us that it was men about 5,000. So there might have been 12 to 15,000 people in this crowd. Then in verse 10, Jesus said, make the people sit down. There's much grass here. Verse 11, then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down. Likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. And so when they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the fragments which remain, so that nothing is lost. And when they gathered them up, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Let me try to give you a setting on this, just to, to set the scene of what we're seeing here. Uh, Christ has become the center of attention, and he has a large uh, contingency of people following. Not all of them were disciples of Jesus. If you read on through the sixth chapter, you find at the end of the chapter that some left and followed him no more. And they were there for all kinds of reasons. Some were just ambulance chasers. You know what an ambulance chaser is, kids? That's somebody who hears the excitement or sees the siren or sees the flashing lights and they run to the scene to see what's going on. And I think that a lot of these people were ambulance chasers. Some maybe were sick and they wanted to, to get near the Lord that he might heal them. And all kinds of reasons. In fact, we learn in the other Gospels that the people went through the villages and were talking about this Jesus. And so this crowd kept gathering and gathering. You know, it's hard to imagine 5,000 men... And then think of the women and children. This is an artist's depiction, but it doesn't do justice. And in the other Gospels, we learned that when Christ told them to sit down in the grass, he grouped them in groups of 50 or 100. And there was organization to this. And, and the Lord had a plan for how he was going to handle this. And I, I thought about that for a moment. And if we, if we didn't learn anything else out of this story... The one thing that we learn is that God has a plan. He knew exactly what he was going to do, it says. He knew what was going to happen next. And God always knows what's going to happen next. So they, they were converging on him. And if you, if you put together this story with the other Gospels, you know what they had just learned just before this? They had just learned of the death of John the Baptist. When you read through the Gospel of John, there's a gap between chapter 5 and 6 that John just doesn't give us all detail. John gives us big pictures. And there's six months or a year between chapter 5 and chapter 6. And so during that time, John the Baptist is killed. And they had just gotten news that John the Baptist was dead. Now think about that for a moment. The other Gospels tell us that they wanted to go apart for a season. You ever have those moments where you just kind of like to get away from it all? I have those moments. I walk back by the pond sometimes and sit down and watch the sunset or watch the fish. I just kind of want to get away from it all. And, and you know, you've, maybe you've looked at the bills that have come in or you've realized that a friend is sick or something going on in your life and you just like to get away. And that's the scene here. They had had a very difficult schedule, and then they got terrible news. 
and they wanted to go apart for a season. But instead of him having quiet time, he looks up, and here is 5,000 men and their families following him. 12, 15,000 people. That is a huge crowd. And so, as they've been with him for a couple of days now, he looks out and he said, these folks have a need. It says in the other two of the Gospels, say that he looked with compassion on them. He cared for them. And I like that too. That in the midst of the most difficult earthly days of Christ, of course the resurrection, the death, burial, resurrection are coming, but these were very difficult days. This was a time when he lost someone that was very precious to him. And yet, when the crowd came, he ministered to them. He cared for their soul. He cared for their needs. As we look through the story, you read about this little boy. The little boy who had a lunch of five loaves and two fish. I was going to bring up a lunch, or have one of the kids to bring a lunch up. But of this little group of 100 plus people, if we had a little sack lunch of five little biscuits, little flat biscuits and two fish. Kids, how many do you think could eat out of that? Not very many. Maybe three or four or five. And they wouldn't get much. But can you imagine 12,000 people? There aren't 12,000 people in Randolph. Can you imagine feeding them all with this little sack lunch? Well, the Lord is going to do something here. You know, in reading about this, some of the commentators wonder if this is a miracle. Bill, is this a miracle? Amen. Yeah. And, and if there was ever a miracle in the Bible, this is a miracle. This is something that God extended his power over nature. Is that any surprise to us? Who made the barley? Myrna and I started planting our garden yesterday. We're a little early, I know. And she's been warning me that it's not yet the end of May and we may get frost. But I was taking out the seed. And isn't it astounding that you can take a little tiny corn seed and you put it in the ground and three months later you have this huge stalk of corn and you might get six or eight ears of corn off of that stalk. That little seed, what a miracle. Genesis chapter 1. And the Lord created all things. He was there from the beginning. He created that corn. And you know what it says? It says that the life was in that seed. That that little kernel had by his design had life. That astounds me. They found kernels hundreds, even thousands of years old that still have life in them. You know, when you wonder if this is a miracle, let's start in Genesis. Kids, you know, the teachers at school may sometimes tell you, or maybe they just ignore it, but maybe they'll tell you that the creation story in Genesis isn't real. And you know, if we don't believe the creation story in Genesis, then why would believe, why would we believe that God could do a miracle like this, right? That makes sense. If he couldn't create, what would make us think that he could do something like feeding 5,000 people with five little biscuits and a couple dried fish. Uh, God's miracles rise and fall together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And among the things he created was barley. You know, barley is the meanest of all the grain. 
In other words, it's the least valuable. And so this little boy had the, the most uh, ordinary lunch a kid could have. And the Lord's going to take that ordinary lunch and expand it and multiply it. By a miracle. Did you hear a miracle? By a miracle. We have a supernatural God. And you know, if God couldn't create the grain, and if God could not feed the 5,000, why in the world would we think that God could redeem us from our sin? Don't they all rise and fall together? We have a miraculous, supernatural God. We have a God who was there at the beginning. We have a God who will be there at the end. And everything in between. We have a God who sees us when we have needs. We have a God who knows when we're hungry. We have a God who knows when we're not well. We have a God who looks with compassion on us in our needs. So, these, these crowds followed in on him. Look at verse 2 for a second. John 6, 2. It says that the multitude followed him because they saw his signs. You know, Christ had been among them. He'd been serving them, been ministering to them. He'd healed people. He was now feeding people. And they were really looking for something tangible out of Jesus. What they really were looking for is a deliverer for Rome. They wanted to get rid of that oppressive power. And they were looking for Jesus to do that. And when they wanted to seize him and make him king, they weren't talking about king of kings. They weren't talking about lord of their life. They were talking about someone just to deliver them from this oppression. And the Lord has something greater in mind. That's why he wouldn't allow it. He has something more important in mind. Uh, the second thing there is that notice that the disciples, as you read through this in all the accounts, you notice that the disciples obeyed. They had questions. Philip said, uh, he, he said to Philip, uh, where are we going to buy bread? And he did this to test him. And Philip said, why, eight months wages wouldn't buy bread for this crowd. How in the world are we going to buy bread? Where are we going to get it? And then he goes on and says, Andrew uh, said to him, well, there's a little kid here. And then he said, well, seek the people. And you know, at each step, the apostles, the followers of Jesus, did what he said, but they still didn't understand what he was going to do next. They didn't understand it. They did not know what was coming, and yet they obeyed. So they looked at this meager little meal, and they thought, how could it possibly spread to feed all these people? And yet they obeyed. You know, there's a lesson there. That sometimes we do not know what the Lord is doing in our life. Anybody ever have an occasion like that? Come on, be honest. Yeah, haven't we all? We're not sure what the Lord's doing at a given moment. But you know, our part is to obey. Anyhow. They didn't know. And the task looked absolutely overwhelming. It looked impossible. And yet, they obeyed. The little boy who gave his rations. Isn't that an amazing story? For 2,000 years, we've been talking about this little boy. And there are countless sermons, wonderful sermons, on this little boy that gave his lunch. Just Google them sometime. You'll see hundreds and hundreds of them. And so we've been talking about a kid who just took that little sack lunch and gave it to these people, just shared what he had. Uh, not, a, not a very grand gesture, was it? Shared what he had, but he gave it. And we'll come back to that. Hold that in mind. 
Thinking of that little boy, I'm reminded of Christ's words to Timothy. I mean, of Paul's words to Timothy. Paul's writing to, it was Christ's words too, but Paul is specifically writing to young Timothy. And he says this, and kids listen to this. He said, let no man despise or look down on your youthfulness, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Until I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. You know what he was saying to Timothy? He was saying, Timothy, if you have in your hands the word of God, and if you are proclaiming that word, don't let anybody look down on you. No matter who they are, no matter what their title, no matter what their position, because you are speaking in God's stead. And that's what he was telling Timothy. And that's what he would say to kids today. If you have a Bible in your hand and you're reading it, let's not worry about what anyone in authority in your life says. Read it. Read it. Proclaim it. Tell others. And live by it. You know, in our Western culture, um, we tend not to expect a lot out of kids. And I thought about that a little bit. And how about if everybody here under the age of 13, how many do I have under the age of 13? Okay. Dennis, you're not under the age of 13. We're going to do a little who am I, okay? You with me? Let's see if someone under the age of 13 can help me with this. Here's the little quiz. The first hint, father was not a good man. Well, that could have been a lot of them. Right, it could be lots of people, and he wasn't a good leader. But the second one, I was installed as king at age eight. Anyone? You're not under the age of twelve. Okay, let's expand it. First of all, next couple clues. At age sixteen, I began to seek after God, as King David had done before me. And then finally, I led a great revival in the land. And it started with the reading of God's Word. This started with an eight-year-old boy who was uh, looking for things out of God, great things. And at 16, he really changes his way. And by 26, he's changed his nation. Okay, up to age uh, 48. (laughs) Anybody know who that is? Josiah. Josiah. Okay, are you 48 or less? Okay. It's Josiah. And, and you know, the Bible is, is full of stories of people that started young. Let's not limit kids and what they can do. In fact, I thought of a couple people. And let me just do a little more, who am I? Don't, if you know, don't say it yet. Hold on a second. I was born in 1820 in New York. I was blind from infancy. Six weeks old, somebody applied a poultice to her eye, and she was blind for the rest of her life. At age eight, blind eight-year-old, you're tracking with me? Blind eight-year-old. I wrote my first poem. By age 15, now listen, by age 15, I had memorized Proverbs, the Gospels, Many of the songs, the Song of Solomon, and I played piano, guitar, and harp. 
At age 91, she spoke to 5,000 people who were gathered to honor her. She wrote 8,000 hymns and never ceased to give testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ from childhood. Who is she? Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby. In a great story. Someone who walked with the Lord their entire life, and even in the 91 years old, was still able and willing to do that. If you know who this is, don't say it. Hold on. I know at least one or two of you know who this is. Here's the who am I. I was raised in a family of pastors. I came to Christ at age 16. At age 17, a neighboring village church called me to pastor. And at age 19, I became pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. Anybody know who it is? Say it, Jim. Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. At age 16, came to faith and immediately began to proclaim the Word of God. Let's not limit what kids could do, right? Charles Haddon Spurgeon died relatively young in his 60s. That seemed younger and younger to me. But he was a relatively young man. But he was a powerful voice for the Lord Jesus Christ his entire life. And I'll guarantee you, slowing down was never in his mind whatsoever through his life. Now here's one of my favorite people. And then we're going to be done with this little exercise. But uh, this is a man that speaks to the issue of age as well as anyone. This guy is known for his homespun humor. He had a great uh, sense of humor. And he had a lot to say. And so let me, let me read some of the things. Here's a quote from him to start with. This is just the kind of quips that he had all the time. Well, I wish I could do this, Bill. He said, if you, you can't tell it like it is if you don't believe it like it was. Isn't that good? He said a lot in a few words. Let me read a little bit of his own words. Father was an austere but devout Christian, the pastor's right-hand man at Old Corinth Baptist Church. The country preachers always stayed at our house on Saturday before the fourth Sunday of each month when they came by horse and buggy to preach the monthly sermon. Some of those sermons were long enough to last a month and sounded more like filibusters, but it was sound preaching. Father always let me sit up late on those Saturday nights before the open fire and listen to him and the ministers talk about the things of God. He goes on to say it beat all the television that has been ever since. Amen. I grew up with a Bible in one hand and a bird book in the other. Pilgrim's Progress, Fox's Book of Martyrs, and a good set of classical literature formed our library. I never knew the day when I do not feel that I should preach and write. When I was 10, I professed Christ as Savior. A revival was in progress at Old Corinth Church, but I came to Jesus alone in the woods. There was no dramatic experience such as some can relate. I came as a child in simple trust. I didn't understand all about the plan of salvation, but I don't understand all about electricity, and I don't intend to sit in the dark. I was baptized in the South Fork River a year later at age 11, and I asked the church to license me to preach at age 11. Is that foreign or what? I began to talk at First Baptist Church of Hickory, North Carolina, 12 miles from our home, 
I've been in bigger towns and churches since, but none as large as did Hickory look that night. Dad, Dad and I went over in an early Ford with 30 horsepower, 20 of them dead. Now listen to this. Retirement age is supposed to mean that I should sit in a rocking chair and reminisce about the good old days. I have no thought of retiring. I would say with Caleb, give me this mountain. That's out of Joshua 14. I am not asking for molehills. Anybody have any guess? The voice of the Appalachians. Anybody have a guess who that is? is that uh, who is it? Tozer? No. Vance Havner. Vance Havner. That's Vance Havner. The voice of the Appalachians. I heard Vance Havner a few times. His messages are still around. He died in the 80s. But what a story of God's faithfulness to a man's life. As a little boy, can you picture him as just a lad, 10 years old? He walked out in the woods, and in a simple way, he confessed Christ as Savior and Lord of his life. And within one year, he said, I, I want to tell others about Jesus. And then he spent the next 80 years, till 91, proclaiming the name of Christ. So as a kid, he was there. As a middle age, he was there. And at the end, he was there. And you know, that's exactly what the Lord wants out of us. He wants children to follow him and proclaim his name. He wants those of us, maybe those of you, in the prime of life to follow him and proclaim his name. And he wants those of us, I have to put myself in this category, who are in their later years to proclaim him among the people. At all ages. Now God took this little boy's lunch, as simple as it was, and used it. And here we are talking about it all of these generations later. The point at any age, sacrifice <coughs> precedes blessing, folks. Listen, sacrifice precedes blessing. There has to be a laying down of my will, a laying down of myself, if I expect the blessings of God in my life. And that's true of children. In our day, who in the world would expect a little boy to give up his lunch? No one would ask a kid to give up their lunch, would they? No one would ask a kid to sacrifice but if we don't lay the claims of Christ on our children and let them know what's expected, how are they going to know as they move into adulthood? Uh, we need to lay the claims of Christ on the children. And our gifts, small and large, are important to the Lord. Well, I have about five minutes to wrap up really what is the message of this passage. The most important lesson out of this whole miracle. You know, Jesus, listen, Jesus did not come just to give us our bread. Jesus came to be our bread. Jesus is the bread of life. You know, bread in every culture. Remember who he's writing to and when he's writing there, they didn't have a McDonald's that you could drive to in five minutes and all those restaurants strung out. They didn't have grocery stores on every corner. And their diets were very simple. And throughout the years, bread has been representative of the, the diet of the common man. When people needed food, if they had bread, they had food. And it would sustain them. Have you ever, once in a while I get the privilege of this, have you ever sat in a room where there's fresh bread baking. Is there anything better than that? 
And Murnoy says, well, don't eat it till it cools. Are you kidding? <laughs> I mean, the first thing I do is run to it. If, if, I wait until she gets out of the room, maybe. But I go to it, and I have to cut a piece off as it comes out of the oven. But, but bread is a staple food. And really, if you have whole grain bread, you can live very nicely on it. You can do fine. And the culture in which they lived, this boy had five little buns and two dried fish. They were like relish. You just put them on the bread. They just were there for flavoring. That, the fish wouldn't have provided all that he needed nutrition. It was the bread that provided what he needed. And the bulk of his nutrition came from it. Well, when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and he says that here in this chapter, what's he saying to us? He's saying, I am the one who can sustain your life forever. And there is no other. There is no other bread. He doesn't say, I am a bread. He says, I am the bread. That's Vance Hatton. That's him as a young man and as an older man. But Jesus didn't say, I'm a bread, a way to sustain your life. He said, rather, I am the bread of life. There's enough bread for everyone. Can you picture that miracle? Can you see it in your minds? Can you see the throngs of people there? And Jesus taking this little lunch, and as he starts to break it up, it fills the basket, then it fills another basket, then it fills another basket, and then another, and another, and another. And so they take it out to these clusters of people, and they feed them all, and they bring it back. And how many baskets were left? Twelve. How many disciples were there? Twelve. Do you think their obedience was rewarded? Did God acknowledge to them at that moment that they had obeyed Him? And He said, I know who you are, and I know your needs, and I'm just going to show you. So not only was there enough, Andrew and Philip, but there's a more than enough. God is not adequate. He is much more than adequate. Jesus didn't come to be adequate. He didn't come to give us an adequate life. Jesus came to give us an abundant life. And He is abundant. You know, we have a wonderful Savior. As the years go by, I appreciate more and more all that God is to me. He is my sustainer. In those moments where life seems to be falling apart, I'm not sure what's coming next, you know the bread of life is right there. He's always there. And He's there in abundance. The times when maybe you aren't sure what's coming next. Jesus knows what's coming next. He knows exactly what's coming. And he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Isn't that good? What a great Savior. I think I'd pause for a moment and say this. If you do not know Jesus as the bread of life, if you do not know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you need to. Because He's the bread. He's the only one. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And you need to know Him. You need to know the Lord Jesus. And for those of, his, of us that do, kids, start now. Right now, where you are. And determined to serve the Lord. Wouldn't you like to finish your life like Vance Havner? 
who from 10 years old to 91 proclaimed the name of Christ and was used by God in such a way that we look back on him and we say, thank you, Lord, for the life of Vance Habner. Isn't that good? Wouldn't you like to have that for your life? And for those of you who are in midlife, you know, let's start right now. Right where we are. You can't go back. All we can do is learn a little bit from the past, but we start right where we are. And for those of us who are in later years, I think Vance Havner was right on the money. I don't think about retirement. Don't give me a molehill, give me a mountain. I am looking forward to seeing what the Lord can do with a slightly slowed, uh, slightly, no, fully gray, old Phil. I'm looking forward to it. Are you looking forward to seeing what the Lord can do with you? Let's pray. In a moment, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And if you are here and are just not sure that you know the Lord Jesus as the author and sustainer of your life, that you know him as your Savior, the one who took your sins, then this is a good day to settle that. You need to know. And if you are here and you say, yes, I've trusted Jesus as Savior, then realize that Jesus is the bread of life. He's the one that sustains our life, and the world needs bread. Let's commit ourselves at whatever station of life that we're in to proclaim him until he comes.